Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to scintillating, amazing and charming individuals across the comedy world with fascinating, unique stories that are all like a Louis Theroux documentary. <laughs> now today's guest is like Mount Everest. She <laughs> is a lovely lady. She's got so many dimensions and layers to her. She's an amazing lady. She is a lady who can speak deaf. No, no, that's not the right word. <laughs> no, she can speak sign language. She's fluent in sign language, British sign language, because there's so many different kinds of sign language. And she can speak English. And <laughs> she can also speak fluent MCing and comedy, which not many people that skilled at. Please welcome the fantastic Siobhan Dot. myself oh that's amazing thank you marvin this is a delight to be here and what um, did you make of it the intro i loved it i, I speak deaf and i uh, <laughs> i speak deaf and i speak emceeing um yes i've got a case of mcd <laughs> hey welcome marvin. hey <laughs> i can't help it i can't help it hey what's your name um i speak mc Ooh. um hopefully speak funny as well um no, it's delightful. I'm really glad to be here. This is amazing. Is. I, 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 to be honest, I feel I felt really dodgy territory here when I said speak deaf. That doesn't sound right. That sounds no. I can't. That, that sounds something. I mean, it is a technical term. Granted, I'm uh, I'm fluent in British Sign Language. Probably is the uh, the more technically accurate way of describing it. I don't want to. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's a bit like Muhammad Ali. Like we could, we say this and that about like Americans and like, or he says, what's it called? People in America, they, you know, in Africa, they can speak French, Portuguese yeah. and English. And they deaf. say in America, they can't even speak English, but you can speak <laughs> English and sign language. And BSL. Yes. Most of the time, most of the time I have a grasp on both languages. Yes. Um, no, it's great. I am an interpreter. That is my job. Um, but of course, as you know, I do comedy as well. Uh, yes, in and out. <laughs> in and out, like it's a bit yeah. every now and then. But you, you're 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 someone who's like you have quite a diverse performance background, and like you're from yes. Guildford, and you, I think yes. you you started comedy in your mid or early twenties. And... I was yes, yes, I was twenty seven. Um, and I had been before that I did like I had a youth theatre background, so I had like a drama degree, drama and sign language degree. And um, I I then qualified as interpreter. So I spent most of my 20s kind of working towards getting fluent in sign language and qualifying in that. And then once I got like to 27 and I got that, that you know, the little badge that says I'm a qualified interpreter, I was like, right. Oh, so now I can put more energy into other things. Um, and that's when I decided to try stand up. What um, so what what two questions there? What what sort of led you to becoming wanting to be like a be a fluent be fluent in understanding sign language? And what was the thought that made you right? I want to get on the stage and make strangers laugh. Ah, okay. So they're two very different. Yeah, supposed to be very different questions. But the, the comedy one first. It's linked. I think it's linked to the fact that I'm an interpreter because once I finally got that badge that was like okay you you now are fluent in sign language i mean i'm not fluent. you're always learning i'm learning new signs every day as everyone is but 
you know, I, I interpret a status. Once I had that, I was like, okay, fine. I've now got a bit more time to focus on the performer side of myself. And I realized that it was important to have something where I could have my own voice. Because as an interpreter, you don't really have your own voice all the time. You 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 are echoing other people's voices. You know what I mean? You're you're being their eyes and ears, and you don't have massively have your own autonomy. So I thought I need something for myself that that will help me manage that. And that's kind of why I got into comedy. My mate Stu was running some gigs um, down at the Bowery, the old comedy bin, and he and yeah, and I I got his first gig at an open mic night. I used to run a music open mic night, so I've got I was a singer in a band with my dad and stuff, and I ran an open mic night in South London. And he did his first gig at my open mic night. Um, which was terrible because it was a, a music night and I'd got him doing 15 on his first ever gig. <laughs> and he'd never done stand-up before and the music wasn't, the night wasn't even set up for stand-up. So poor guy, it wasn't the right environment for him. But then I lost my stand-up opportunity at his night because he had said, oh, you should try it. And other people had said, oh, you should try it. And then I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do it. New Year's resolution. I decided to do stand-up dressed as a bear. I used to dress as a bear back in the early days. Ah. Yeah, that was my that was my starting point. And then after about three gigs as a bear, I was like, I'm gonna try and be a human. And I've mostly stayed as a human ever since. Oh, um, but that's yeah. Fun. But that's the so that's the comedy. That's kind of why I got into that. And it kind of yeah, it was quite a natural progression for me really to go from singing uh, and comparing a gig with a music gig to then going into stand up. Um but the interpreting question, do you want me to answer that as well? Well, yeah, what like what what was it that? Because you that's I, I've not come across many people that are sign language interpreters. So I, yes, it, it's what was it? There's obviously I think you mentioned it a while ago about there was some sort of event or something that came across that made you decide to become a sign language interpreter. Well, I had a part-time job, aged seventeen, working with kids with disabilities, and some of them were using like basic sign, like Makaton. And I saw that, and then one of my colleagues had said, oh, there's a course at Guildford College, a stage one BSL course. And I just said to my mum, oh, can I do this course? Um, this was when I was in upper six, like, you know, the second year of my A-levels. And she said, yes, okay. And I enrolled in an evening class while I was doing my A-levels. And it was great. And I, I realised I really, really liked it. So then I'd already sent off my university application. I wanted to be an actress, darling. I'd gone to drama schools. That was all I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything else. And the drama school application process is rough. Like no one ever gets in. You have four minutes to prove your worth and you never do. And it's not so competitive. So I wasn't having much luck with that. So my mom was like, look, can you not change your options? Can you go back and maybe try some universities instead? And I found this course at Reading University that was um, drama, theatre arts, education and deaf studies. And I thought, well, oh, that's drama and sign language. Perfect. Two things that I like. Let's go for that. So I was able to change my options to then apply for that. And then once I went there into Reading to start doing that course, I then made loads of deaf friends and started basically getting drunk with deaf people. And that's uh, that's my 18 to 27. <laughs> well, to now, 18 to forever was just getting drunk with deaf people. And you know, getting involved with the deaf community, and that made me, you know, then progress to be an interpreter. Mm. Sorry, it's very long-winded, uh, a bit, bit waffly. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's, 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 it's like it's because it's especially someone that knows you. Because one, mm. one thing I will notice, and uh, mm. I've spoken to like, other comics like Steve McLean and like oh, Ashley, and like 
Mm. We said this about like you and even Phil Henderson. Uh, like we we found like your 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 likability in stage. Like when you're on stage, when you're hosting, like I've not seen anything like it. You make it seem like it's like people just warm to you and like it's just a and maybe maybe part of why you're like that is because you from a young age got to work with people that were less fortunate yourself so you got to maybe develop more of a attachment to people and seeing people as people because i know that mm. with steve best he said with his friend who's a dwarf like people mm. would look at him in a funny way because he's famous and they're looking differently mm. and a lot of us don't often we see things from a certain way we're not as understanding as perhaps we could be did that maybe shape you into the sort of warm warm person you are today very kind marvin i'll i'll i mean i'll take yeah i'll take any praise because <laughs> i uh, am attention seeking uh and yeah. needed validation as all comedians um but just be careful to say people less fortunate i don't know i wouldn't see the deaf community as less fortunate than myself i see them more yeah. of a as a cultural and linguistic minority and the deaf yeah. community themselves feel a bit like they don't want to be defined as a disability they want to be defined as a as a cultural and, and linguistic minority, if that makes sense. It's just a different language and it's a different culture. Um, but yeah, I suppose, I mean, I just love people. I mean, it's nice that they that those comics said those nice things and they find me likeable. Believe me, not every audience have always found me likeable. <laughs> I've had my fair share of dying. I mean, probably even at some of your gigs, Marvin, I think I've tanked before. <laughs> like it isn't... Um, I don't think everyone is liked by everybody. And that's something I think I struggle with because I am a bit of a people pleaser and I do want to be liked by everyone. Um, so it's nice if I can be, <laughs> but it's not always the case. But you, yeah, you, you, but yeah, the, as you said, there, what you said there is you like people and that's, that's always come across when you're, when you're yeah. in gigs or people, you're very relaxed, warm. You like to talk to everyone. You, you're friendly. Yeah. I notice sometimes with people that, they have a lot of guards or they're a bit selective about who they talk to or they, they yes. if they see certain things they won't talk to people and what, yes. as you said there what, what i said about the deaf community is definitely from us outsiders and i'm probably going to be disliked from what i just said there but the no no is, not at all it's, it's, i noticed it's not good opportunity. a lot of a lot of people are like that they they see things through a certain lens and they're very they don't look beyond the different layers yeah and, and that's yeah that you don't see people like that you just like to have a laugh and be friendly and that's what i like about yeah. you great thank you marvin and your gig i mean you obviously you do a great beautiful gigs and you know that i've fallen in love with arthur's cafe and it's actually the only gig i've done for the last three months <laughs> um yeah and i just all the people that come they're all genuine people and you're the one who puts the effort into getting them there and it's great you know, I, if I'm hosting a gig, I genuinely care about every audience member. Um, and that's why actually intimate gigs are really good for me at the moment. I'm really loving the intimate gig. You know, I don't like these comics that turn up and they're really snobby about there only being 10 people. It's like, it doesn't matter if there's only 10 people. Think about those 10 people that you've got there. Like Carol, is, is, she's, she's, you know, she's got a dodgy leg and she's come all the way in. And, you know, she had a cough this morning, really didn't make it out. But she's here and she's having a great time. Over yourself and do it for Carol. Yeah, exactly. Like instead of focusing, just if you do really well, they may you don't know who they know. If yes, you put put on exactly. a good show for them, they yeah. may want to invite other friends to it. Or if you, they all come back, and that's the main thing. Yeah. If you put yeah. that effort for one, like President Abunjo, 
he told mm. me when he did a TikTok live, mm. um, only one person said they were going to come and see him do stand-up, but they said they'll bring 50 people in. And word of mouth is the biggest yeah. sort of proponent of getting people in. Like with Arthur's Cafe, most of it's come through that. Right, with yeah. the With some of the people you saw last time in the improv night, nearly everyone there was mostly people that had been before. Which like Aldo brought his friend up because he had such a good time, because it's a nice atmosphere. Yeah. And that is something yeah. that is neglected in a lot of comedy gigs, well, especially at the level that we're at. But I, even, even with mm. some of the bigger ones, I feel they're a bit soulless because they get yes. big names in and they're, 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 they're more detached. They, you know, got Groupon or Woucher and they mm. pay a lot of money to get the fame. Even there, it's still a bit. Because I watched last week, I went into Top Secret, I watched Stuart Goldsmith. Oh, really? Okay. I watched yeah. um, 99 Comedy Club with Tom Lucy and lots of these big names big names yeah They're very good with crowd work but yeah the even the atmosphere is still that yeah you don't feel like you're part of anything no it's not the same as the intimate gig the intimate gig is a is a something to behold it's something beautiful um and yeah i think i think too many comics are a little bit snobby about them but it's it is yeah it, it's one of those things but it is yeah. what it is isn't it a lot of it is it is you know, it's not for me. I think actually being a parent now, um, and you know, I've, I've struggled to get right back into my comedy rhythms with having both kids. Um, I'm just happy to leave the house, honestly. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm delighted to be out, and I'm not going to have a bad gig because I can't gig that much, so I can't afford to have a bad gig. I want to have a good gig. Um, but just, sorry, what you're going back to about people, I've noticed not every comic is in it for the people. A lot of them are in it for the craft, and that's fine. And they're very, very successful, much more successful than me. Um, but I would say that I like people and attention more than I like comedy itself. So that's kind of, I'm in comedy for that reason, rather than because, you know, I'm obsessed with pullback meals and all this technical comedy craft stuff, if that makes sense. I'm not a comedy purist. Yet yeah, the... The thing about comedy and that is though there's a lot of it's, it's extremely competitive and it's quite mm. can be quite cut for one of yeah. the things in it every there are some really unique and interesting people in it that really yes. re, that i really love about it that do it and that come yeah. to the shows yeah that's one of the well, things that make me keep, audiences keep doing and it. yeah exactly yeah like um, I mean, you you listen to the episode of Cat. Cat's quite interesting. She, yes. she's quite wild. Yeah, no, she was great. I was very interested to hear about her. Yeah, no, there's all sorts of all sorts of walks of life, isn't it? And loads of you find all sorts. I'm in my twenties, and well, before kids, I would you know drink with comics uh, for hours on end after gigs. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? Is it just that I'm older and more sensible, or has is the comedy circuit become less sociable? Um, well, I've not gigged as much as I normally do, so I'm not sure. But then a few gigs I have done, I was with PJ. Do you remember PJ? I mean, yes. he went to Arthur's Cap a oh, while ago, and they didn't like it. He's an institution. Yeah, he is. No, as in like a good thing. He's like, he's a classic sort of someone you, every comedian has to do a PJ gig. <laughs> remember I did one of his months and it went on till midnight. And there was only a couple of us in the room, and he did like forty minutes between each act, and, <laughs> and he would shout at you after your set about what he liked about it while the show was still running. No, but it's hilarious. He's hilarious. 
Yeah, he's, he is, isn't he's he? someone he, to behold. <laughs> he is a character. I was he like, is a I remember character. at the Hecras gig, he was talking very loudly and they were laughing when he was yeah. on the phone. He, yeah. Yeah, he is a character. He's, he's, he really he's very is. unfiltered. And yeah. he told me that that's gone. And me and him had a drink uh, at a gig in Morden. But I think maybe you're in right. There's you're a gig right. in Morden. No, not Morden. Sorry, New Morden. Oh, damn. It's still cool. <laughs> he was a home run from Morden. That's why I got excited about that. End of the Northern Line. Sorry, Marvin, as you were. But there might be. There is the Sound Lounge, which um, which have something in Morden. Yes, the sound, yes, they, there was a gig there. There was a gig there last year, and I went to it because it, someone promoted it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And I went to it as a punter. It was great. And I won a bottle of champagne because it was a raffle. Oh. Yeah, I was very happy about that. <laughs> Did you drink all of it, or have you kept it on ice? Or no, we had it. I can't remember why. <laughs> we 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 kept it for a lot for a couple of months, and then there was a reason to celebrate. So we drank it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 place is actually a place down south that actually has a bit of soul to it, and the yeah. place that I would actually want to put on a maybe a one-off gig. But it's, they got so many musicians coming, and so many people actually yeah. going into that place, so it's hard to actually right. get a show on there. But that yeah, place yeah. has a bit of... It's busy. Well, it's never practice. bloody open when I go past with the kids. I'm always trying to, you know, take them to different cafes, and they've got good donuts that my son wants, but they never open. They need to open. <laughs> they, well, their home base is in Sutton. So Yes, and then they've got another one in Morden. Look at us doing good, plugging the local businesses of our area. Yeah, sound loud. You better pay me and Siobhan some money for this. Exactly. And open, please. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a donut. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's oh. always interesting to come across places with a lot of characters. So it's mm. one thing I want to ask of you. Have you been to a place called Polici's? Polici's? No, where is it? It's in Bethnal Green and okay. it's an Italian uh, slash uh, greasy spoon mm. where it's been run since the 1900s by a family oh and wow okay they, they had the craze there they, yeah it, it's a place that has been going on for ages and has a real big community they have like a massive line of people waiting to get in each each afternoon oh, it's got okay. tourists from across the globe and when yeah, i went yeah. in there the food wasn't special but the customer service was really something else okay yeah and they had see that's that's the thing with like comedy, isn't it? And emceeing and what we're talking about rapport and dynamics. Like, it's I don't think it's just like a thing between comedian and audience. It's like every single interaction, there's a spark and there's an energy. And sometimes, like you talk about this restaurant, obviously that's got it. That when someone like waiter is really sort of magnanimous and wonderful and makes people feel special, and that's it's that kind of magic you want to bottle up. And that's a thing that makes. You know, comedy nights special, like parties special, like every single interaction you ever have. That makes sense. Yeah, but it, yeah. Did Did you come across a lot of that, like growing up, or did you come across that often in restaurants or like events? Do you feel that that is something that's not yeah. neglected? Yes. Yeah. That, that when and, it, and when you do find it, it feels really great. Like in tourism as well, when you go away somewhere and like, there's a tour guide who goes out of their way to make you feel great. Like it's just something that's really so it was really special. And I think that's what sort of I know that we certainly feel it about Arthur's Cafe when people come in. We really want them to have a good time. We're really invested. But there's other gigs where they promote it. I don't know what they don't. I think some comedians are not as much people people and they don't kind of necessarily focus as much on that side of things. They don't want to schmooze the audience and talk to everyone like it's it feels like quite an alien thing. Does that make sense? Like a lot of 
comedians aren't into that. <laughs> and that's fine. They don't have to be. But um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a nice thing. I think it's a good thing, and it makes people feel more invested yes. in the show. Well, that's that's something I'm actually trying to preach whenever I see people come down or try and like because I yeah. see a lot of it where it's completely different and it's it's yeah. um yeah it's the reverse of that they they treat it like it's a job they don't want them there and it's yeah what the the punters they don't want the punters there like the, no the actual com comedy promoter and like the way it's yes. set up it's treated like it's a nuisance not like something that's fun oh what they mean the venues treat it like a nuisance both the promoter um, and the the promoter and the venue yeah and they don't have that synergy and harmony yeah that is yeah that is a shame it's a shame when that happens i'll be honest with arthur's calf you you've known me for a while so, i have we've many venues together mm. so you noticed that i think i've gotten better over the years but there is mm. a i'd say i'll classify myself in that sort of bracket to a degree i've gotten better and more comfortable engaging every laugh with people yeah but i'd say there are times that i can get quite awkward or make a mistake and one of the things about arthur's cafe she's a very good people person so if it's yeah. rather just me trying to engage with people she's also yeah. doing it and that's why we, we get exactly and that's why heckle night is so good there because you got people that want to heckle and you got people that want to get involved um, and, it, and it's lovely. And I think me and you are, are we almost like anti-comedians because yeah. we actively say we want to fuck the comedians up. <laughs> and then we do um, with Heckle Night and with improv, with the improv night that was really good fun, given the comedians' topics they have to rip off. Um, and it's really fun because it just throws them off their scent. And, you know, I'm really delighted to be MC rather than, you know, a spot. <laughs> <laughs> do that myself it's very hard work <laughs> but yeah they, they all do a great job they did a wonderful job at last improv night that was very you know, impressive getting too serious and too kind of just into their jokes it's like nah, come on play i want to play with these people but you you feel with some of the i don't even with the other improv night in 2016 and with this yes. this night you always felt marvin what are you doing you're really you, you feel like i'm being quite cool with some of it oh my god i was really when I'm not there because I was like the filter and you were writing these suggestions down and some of them I was like fucking hell Marvin I'm not saying that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and I was like you'll get cancelled so um yeah I don't know if you've ever do you normally do those on your own without a person there to filter you because I, I fear I fear for the public that's the case <laughs> <laughs> you so need a filter you need I'm your filter <laughs> so th th we did one before and mm. it was so i don't know if uh, yasmin told you about this but there was a comedian called um there's a do i should i say his name or should i not oh i don't know i don't i don't know the rest of the story so i don't know where... well he's a cool guy and i don't think he would have a be a big deal but i don't want to cause this issue beef but mm. yeah there was a comic that came in he um he was doing the improv night and it was the first time we well one of the few times i've done it without the one in hands with the videos yeah and i started putting topics in and someone put liz truss and i i found a topic of um i was looking for topics so i put together a topic of <laughs> anal bleaching and liz truss so i put gave it a topic of anal bleaching with liz truss <laughs> 
she loves it. <laughs> I'm sure she's got she more does. time on her hands now and on her bum, I'm sure. <laughs> Any of time for clean. a bit. Either way. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And and did this comic do the anal bleaching with this trust? What? He knew it was an improv and I told everyone about it and it would be in the middle of the topic and I, I stopped it. I said, <laughs> SL, um, it's, your, your topic is, I thought, is anal bleach with lip trust. <laughs> and he was stood there for like a minute. What? <laughs> and he was <laughs> completely not knowing what to do. And he said, you, you got me there. That was... <laughs> But even that's funny. I think like any riffing you can do at all, generally the audience are going to be with you, aren't they? They love it when you make stuff up or they love he, anything that appears spontaneous. He did do it, but the, in a way it was funny because afterwards he got really wound up about it. Oh, <laughs> and dear. he was complaining to Yasmin and the people, like, what are you doing with this and that? And then afterwards he was so angry. He He wanted to say something like this and that, but he was just being polite and he wouldn't want to say anything that would oh so he, dear he he left the gig and he shook my hand to have a good gig and then left to one he said i know this this is a show i hope that i didn't offend you and this and that but yeah he was really <laughs> really angered by it oh dear <laughs> and there was another comic who got really annoyed with yeah. stanley and you know stanley's quite a brutal he puts me with a good hexer yeah one of and our regulars, yeah. He had a go, like, after one minute, Stanley was heckling him. And he had a brutal heckle on Stanley and they said, oh, it's because of your hairline. <laughs> oh, dear. And they laughed. Stanley didn't mind it, but, like, the comment really got wound up about it. He says, I'm going to make sure people don't do this gig. Oh, my God. Come on. Oh, no, did he say, I'll mention it to other comedians, gigs, so they have to deal with it. <laughs> well yeah. then we have the desired it's the desired effect because i just think god <laughs> Gav, don't, don't take all too seriously i don't know it's a difficult one because obviously comedians it's a funny one because like, some comedians obviously do five nights a week and they're really playing the long game and they really want to they're on a journey and they want to progress and they go, go at it really business and they go at it really hard and i and i get that and that's important and there was a time where i was a bit like that um, I'd say probably 2013 around that time, but I don't know. Now I, I rarely just see past the gig. I want to get better, of course, and I book the gigs in so that, I, especially if I've got a competition coming up or something, I will book in a gig to practice for that and you know get my set better and get material down. But I sort of think you just have to enjoy the gig. I sort of don't. I often really focus on the actual gig in hand and just being in that space and being present in that moment, rather than just being like, "Well, I'm going to do my set and then go." Oh, um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, a funny one. What, what, but you and me, we've both been in comedy a while, but like, what, if you were going to speak to the young 27-year-old Javon now, <laughs> what, what sort of surprise you coming in that you wish you'd be prepared for? Um, ah, oh, right, what surprised me coming in? I have, there hasn't been anything unpleasant, actually. If anything... I feel like I was expecting it to be more misogynist than it actually is. I have, I've found the circuit to be more supportive than I expected it to be. Um, and definitely a lot less misogynist. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still got a boys club. There's still a boys club mentality sometimes. And there's some clubs where 
there's just you know other comics and they're all male and they only laugh at each other's jokes and it's got that kind of boys creep about it where you tell some jokes and you just know they're not going to laugh and I don't go down well at those places I'm just that's I don't fit in there and that's you still get elements of that but it's not quite as prolific as I thought it was going to be and genuinely I think it's a meritocracy the people that work hard do go places and there's people I started I started in 2012 and loads of people I started out with are, are doing really well as they should it's like you see them go up the trajectory and you're like oh they must have put in the requisite work um so I think yeah I don't think there's any unpleasant surprises about it at all if anything I you know I still know that I need to if I really want to get progress then I need to work a lot harder and I keep believing that there's going to be some point in my life where I will do that <laughs> I don't know if I will or not but like you know I can I can be deluded and think that oh if I work hard I'll get really successful <laughs> and I can put off finding that out by just not working hard <laughs> and I will work hard at some point <laughs> let, me, let me know if you want this bit included or not mm. but just give a little sign or whatever but I do <clears throat> One of the things you said to me, I think a while ago, or I've seen you mention mm. on stage. Oh, no, I think it was at the Lovers in the Air comedy show. Yeah, yeah. You, you told me something about um, comedians are quite um, mentally un. Oh, they, they have, they're awkward. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Comedians are. This is why I fit quite naturally with them <laughs> and as one. Yeah, we, we're, a weird, we're a weird breed. And most comedians generally don't have that many social skills is that fair to say uh not in a bad way <laughs> i people are gonna like stop alienate myself from every comedian and every promoter they'd be like what is that <laughs> i made a joke about it didn't i, I made a joke about comedians not having social skills the, the, there is something in there and i haven't quite gotten the bottom of it but mm. sometimes when i it's hear comics say that comedians or dickers or, or that but it's often yeah. people who are actual not nice people that often say yeah that. yeah yeah maybe that's why i could no uh, but the thing <laughs> is i no, think it's like any old people. i think it's like any old workplace like the the, the things i come across as a comedian and stuff that i found in hospitality or any sort of job yeah, i yeah, come yeah. across but i'd say may we are maybe people that like I spoke to a clown called Rennie Bazinet, mm. and the thing that comedians share with clowns is that we tend to stick out and we don't yeah. necessarily always fit into regular yes. society. Perfect. And that's, and that's the thing I would say. Yes, and that's definitely true of a lot of comedians. Um, and I mean, I didn't fit in as a child. I was bullied. I was the old, I was eccentric. And it is, it's, it's a crowd of misfits. And I think that's why, that's why I love it. And that's why I really enjoy having comedian as a facet of my identity. Um, but there's a lot of comedians who are a bit socially awkward. And I think that's not an, a, a massive, you know, shock phenomenon because, um, because it takes, it takes a certain character to want to put yourself out there. <laughs> um, so many, I think there's a, there's a lot that are more introverted than extroverted, which is surprising. I'm obviously more extroverted. I'm quite expert but yeah it, there's a lot that are quite introvert and they actually don't find it easy to talk to people one-on-one -on -one, but do find it easy to get up on the stage and be funny so it's fascinating really fascinating breed joseph murphy's probably one of those because he he does things wild things that i never right. expect anyone and he's brilliant yeah but when you talk to him off stage like people always say this that he can't look people in the eye 
Oh, but he's one, but he's wonderful, isn't he? Lovely guy. Very um, funny. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I know absolutely. Very different persona on stage to off stage. Um, but I say it's not persona. Persona makes it sound like it's put on. It's not. It's all there. It's all natural. It's just the way the way people are. People have different sides to them, don't they? Um, I would say I'm quite similar on stage to off stage. So there's not. Yeah. You don't get much of a shock <laughs> seeing you know meeting me the other way. I'm probably a little more. I'm a little politer off stage and there's less swearing if I'm with my children. That's the main difference. But they do hear it occasionally, <laughs> don't they? No, I'm joking. Oh God, no way. Not with my oh, not with my strict tiger dad husband. <laughs> <laughs> Asian headmaster. Like even if I say things like crap or bloody, he's like language. And I'm like, really? But it's like fuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, they hear it now. That's not even, that's not even, that's not a swear word. Come on. Poor guy. Fair. A lot of challenges. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the one thing that is definitely true is we're misfits and that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's the bit that's definitely true, but also that comedy feels a need somewhere. Because Eve, like, yes. I found that a lot of comics, even if they appear really confident or regular, mm. I find that they've, like I know some that have IBS or they have like Crohn's disease or they got they got uh, some sort of anemic or they they got yeah. some sort of condition or ADHD or yeah uh, yeah with something. me mm. with me I've stayed with my parents for a very long time but I've spent periods <laughs> away and so it's yeah. to me that haven't developed like I've always not felt like a, I always felt like an outsider I'm not fitted into mm. regular social groups like I, I, yeah. I prefer to have one or two friends rather than be part of a big social group. I've just yeah, never yeah. Sort of fitted in. And that's, I feel a bit of a need for that because I've always felt that people are better than me because they've done this or they've done that. And they're, yes. And I do comedy because when you get on stage and you make people laugh, and what keeps me doing it is that one, it helps me deal with things. Two, you feel like a rock star when you make people laugh. Yeah. On stage. Yeah. Oh, but when you don't. That's the hard thing. The longer you not yeah. find, the longer you do it, the harder it is to keep up with your own standards. And I think actually that's why it's quite good that I, you know, I was forced to take a break by having kids and the pandemic and stuff. And then coming back to it, I think I appreciate it a lot more. I appreciate the loss. Whereas actually it gets to a point where the the good the good factor of the loss, they stop kind of reaching you because you're just used to them. And in order to feel that buzz, it has to be like an applause break or standing ovation which is rare <laughs> Do you know what i mean because your own expectations of itself get higher so it's harder to get that buzz and it's a bit more like oh everyone's laughing okay job done rather than like everyone's laughing i'm buzzing i'm buzzing yeah um, I, I, yeah I, I still get the buzz but i do agree with this what you said there in terms of the standards mm. like people yeah. will sometimes say to me when when i've played the zoro character i've done quite well yeah. They they all say you did well and this and that, but I I'll feel like I I could do a lot better. You won't feel it exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting one. But when you don't do well, you feel it as well. So there's the buzz. But God, when you miss the mark or when it when you die. Well, at the moment I feel I've not gigged as much as I normally do, but I also I played it a bit too safe. Like there's bits. Yeah. I haven't. No. Like, one of the things is, is it, did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Um, no, but I, when I was, I remember actually the same day as my 12 week scan with my son, 
I dressed up as Daenerys for you, Marvin. Oh yes, that your was Game brilliant. of Thrones gig. We did we did a Game of Thrones night, didn't we? It was great Justice. fun, and oh, I was, was a amazing. pregnant Daenerys. I could never fit back into that costume now. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Oh. The cool. audience members knew it was one of those brilliant intimate nights where there was a really a few up for it pockets of people and they were so on board with us, weren't they? They loved it. And one of them did say, so you're expecting a baby? And I was like, how did you know? My scan's tomorrow. I just <laughs> had the scan today and I hadn't come out as pregnant. But they knew. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Um, but sorry, I was going, oh, I'm faithful, you know, I forgot. Sorry, Marvin, crack on. But the point that I was saying was Tyrion mm. made a point to he's a dwarf in the Game of Thrones and Jon yeah. Snow is a bastard. Meaning that, yeah. So he's, he caught, kept him calling bastard. Yeah. And he gave a bit of advice to him. Like he said, remember what you are, the rest of the world won't, because otherwise it will be used to hurt you. Yes. But if oh. you have a weakness or a big fault or something that really hurts you, if you. Like Joe Brand does when she makes fun of this and that. Yeah, Doesn't yeah, hurt yeah. As much. That is yeah. something that I've not I've played too safe in comedy at the moment. Yes. I've not yeah. ad not addressed or attacked because there are things that I haven't yet brought out on stage yeah. that I'm really it's not too weird, it's just something that mm. I'm that I that really hurt that I'm really insecure about and I wanna yeah. sort of get past that. If you get past that, then yeah. you can be more freer in it and it not hold you back yes. as much. Yes, and that's what I've not done on stage recently, and yeah, I've got because I've gigged for a while, maybe I've gotten a bit too comfortable. And what, yeah, when Arthur's calf, I feel a bit nervous about doing that mm. because if I will that side of myself, maybe they won't like me and I'll lose some more audiences. And you know, it's important, yeah, maybe I should just well, we're doing a heckler's night on May the 3rd, but I'm back with you, yeah, this week. It would be fun. Two days then. before my birthday. My last gig as a 38-year-old. Fucking hell. Maybe I'll have more grey hairs. Oof. <laughs> um, yeah, no. no we'll yeah. celebrate in style. We'll get lots of Jaeger bombs. And... <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow. But you know what? Back in the day, before kids, we probably would have done. I would have had Jaeger bombs with, with audience members and acts until long into the night. Um, to bring that back. <laughs> if I can handle it. I can't handle it as much. <laughs> But yes, this idea of exploring sort of your insecurities on stage. You know, I, I'm up for doing stuff more like stuff like that as well. Um, and after having the kids, I kind of wanted to do material that wasn't just about cock. Um, <laughs> I've managed, I have managed to generate some material that isn't about cock. So maybe I'll, I'll go down that route eventually. But it's tricky because if you're booked to do a 10, you've got to do a good 10. And some of my strongest, oldest material I know is a banker is cock based. So. <laughs> Those traps. So how do you ever get out of being a cock-based interpreter? <laughs> it's yeah. You, you have all these fears and insecurities, oh, and you're worried about losing what you, what you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's something I want to get to, and I think the only way for me to do that is I'm gonna. I think next few weeks just book a lot of gigs and just focus on doing that thing. Because if I try yeah. and put it off till later, then I'll probably avoid yeah. doing it. So if I maybe do that at the start of my set, attack the weakness. Yeah, and see how it goes. And be prepared for it to die. That's the problem. New material. I am such a procrastinator for new material. Like, I put off writing like it's no man's business. I really do. I'm terrible for it. And then I really have to force myself to write. <laughs> but... And actually, when you do write a new bit and it works, it's amazing. So, yeah, it's about being brave and just taking that plunge, isn't it? It's fear of failure, isn't it? Fear of failure is the thing that holds everyone back. It's the reason why Candy uh, Candy Yee once said, um, 
that procrastination is because of fear of failure. That's why you procrastinate. That must be worth at the heart of it. I think one thing also is, yeah, it's, what was the thing I wanted to say? Yeah, um, I've forgotten already now. <laughs> I forgot what I wanted. Yeah, I, th I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just a difficult thing to do. And I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm going to, one of the aims I'm going to do. Um, yeah. Just, just, because then it can't hold you back as much. Um, yeah. You're more free. Now, one of the things that I, one thing I often hear, this is a myth from people, and they say mm. that they've, people change or like kids make you more warmer, more attached to things. I've yeah. seen some cases of it where that is the case, but I've also seen other cases where you're the same prick I knew before. <laughs> but, um, made you a bigger cum. <laughs> yeah, but you, you're, I mean, it does make you, give you a bigger cum, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, I could have. Oh, 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 yeah. Comes out. The amount of organs that spill out. Oh, so <laughs> it, it, it is definitely. You're going to make a big opening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 now that you've also got kids and like you, you sort of came back in the comedy after. How, how did it sort of change you as a comedian when you approached comedy? You mentioned it a bit earlier in the podcast, but. Yeah. How, is, how did that change you in terms of when you be a sign language interpreter, be a comedian, mm. but also like in your general interactions with people? It does change. It does change you massively, I think. And there's many ways it changes you. Um, one interesting one is I think before having kids, I, as a woman, possibly brainwashed by the patriarchy, I always sort of believed I had to be sexy and I would play on that. I'd play on being sexy. And then I had kids and I was like, I'm not wearing a short skirt, which is because, well, A, because, you know, I'm more prone to pissing myself these days if I jump up and down. And I'm a high energy act. So <laughs> that's the real risk. Um, so I like, I suddenly felt no pressure to be sexy at all because I'm a mother now. So it's not necessary. In a way, that's sad because actually, you know, it's quite fun, but it's actually also quite liberating because you can just, you're just like, just a mother. Um, so you can just be that and you don't have to be attractive. I never had to be attractive before, but there was probably this weird patriarchal brainwashing that was like, oh, you must be attractive. You must do this and play that card, which I think I did in like my late 20s and early 30s. Um, but then having kids change that. I also, I do think it possibly does make you warmer because you're more relatable. Suddenly you can relate to loads of audience members. And that's why gigs that are like full of real punters, being a parent, I think, is great because it re you can really relate to those people. But gigs where it's mostly other comics, no, that isn't going to make you any more relatable because they're mostly not parents. Um, I think it also made me more vulnerable, actually. It's weird because it's made me more powerful and more vulnerable at the same time. So before I would do a gig and, and walk home, whatever, not care. I was just like, whatever, I'm indestructible. But I remember when Kian was a baby, I did like only a couple of gigs in my maternity leave, one of which being yours with him in a sling at eight weeks. That was oh, yeah. bonkers. Oh, I remember that night. Anyway, yeah, I did a gig where it was in the middle of nowhere and I left the venue and I was like, I'm getting in the cab. I just didn't want to do this walk along alleyways and stuff to get to the station because I think I just felt a little more scared because I was not that I was worth more, but like I was breastfeeding and just thought, no, I'm not risking it. I'm just 
risking it. Um, so it's definitely changed me in that respect. Um, and it's changed me in terms of comedy. I have to be more selective about the gigs I do. I can't, I don't have time to do bad gigs. So I really just want to do good gigs. And I want to do gigs that make me happy. Because um, I think, yes, there's you've got to get better and you've got to progress and you've got to die and you've got to do the bad gigs. But I think you've also got to enjoy yourself at the same time. So I, I don't have enough time, energy or headspace to be like digging every night and... I would rather put lots into one gig a week than spread myself too thin five gigs if that makes sense hmm. and you really focus on those gigs as well like last year when I was gigging when I got back into gigging I would film myself at every gig so I would learn from it and then you're actually being proactive about your gigging you're you're being reflective afterwards and you're actually making sure that you improve rather than just gigging loads and not reflecting and not trying to learn from it Does that makes sense yeah I think to, there's two articles in comedy that have been written out there. One mm. says that household culture is ruining comedy, but one also says that um, the ones that have made it have worked really hard at it. You say household I, I, culture? Yeah, there's, there's, there was two on Medium that I saw a while that went quite viral. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed one of them. Uh, I think Matt, was it Matt Ruby? I think it mm. was him. Uh, let me double check. I, I put him on a podcast and I... Give me yeah. one second. Um, but I think there's an element of both, like reviewing it, but then working very hard at it as well. I think they're both, if you apply an element of both, that's what I've seen in terms of the people that have made it somewhere. Yeah. So I remember um, one comic used to gig a lot, but they didn't get any work. And I tried that as well. But yeah. like you've got to pick the right kind of gigs. Like, And you've got to be the... reflective. You've got to be a reflective. This is something that is similar to interpreting. When you're becoming an interpreter and improving, you have to be, they call it a reflective practitioner. So I think you've got to do the same with comedy. Um, but I don't, I film myself, but I won't let myself watch it until two days after because I want to enjoy the buzz. So if I've enjoyed the gig, I particularly won't watch it for like two days after because I really want to enjoy that feeling. And then when, I, when the buzz has died down, I will watch it and then go okay this could be improved this could be improved that's great well done and if i've had a bad gig i think i leave about three days because <laughs> i want to forget about it and that's when i pluck up the courage to watch it and think about what could have been better and often actually when you do watch it you realize it's not as bad as it was um but i think it's that kind of yeah that's what i mean by being proactive like proactive digging, to actually digging and trying to refine the, the refine your sets etc so yeah, I think it's it's a combination of both. Like, mm. I think that, and one of the main reasons for saying that is I bumped into Nigel Un before yeah. he became Uncle Roger, but when he yeah. started to build a following, and he had yeah. 40,000 Instagram. And he um, said to me, when I spoke to him, like, he became a pro comic, and he was signed by, by Off the Curb, and he was doing yeah. pro gigs, like Comedy Store. Mm. And he said that he had a full-time job. And I'm like, you have a full-time job? And he said, wow. yeah. I don't want to be poor and in London. Now, yeah. the thing about that, he's he worked very hard, but he worked smart. If you yeah. be able to do that, a full-time job and comedy, that's yeah. why he's successful where he is. Because I know right. there's some comics that all they do is comedy, but they they got yeah. nowhere near as much success as he does. Yeah, that's interesting. That's why I believe in being, I think you've got to look back at things and try and find out where you're going wrong. Yeah. 
but you can't just gig gig and write 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 and just and burn out i think there's, yeah, there's a degree exactly. you've got to get it right and also you've got to i think the, the sort of way my journey is i mean look, there's times when obviously i started in 2012 i look at you know sometimes you turn on live with the apollo and you're just like oh bloody hell they started gigging like three years after me <laughs> they're on this and you can i think a slippery slope is to go down that comparing yourself to others journey i think it's very unhealthy and um, everyone does it to a certain degree but it isn't a good thing to do because everyone's on their own journey. And I've always been like, I'm doing life and I'm prioritizing life and comedy is fitting into my life. But I haven't at one point let, well, not that often have I let comedy kind of take over. That makes sense. So I'm, I prioritize, you know, interpreting and my family and living, enjoying life, holidays, parties, but also gig as well. Um, and at some point, maybe I'll do more gigging than the other things. But I think some people just focus on the end game and the becoming a pro comic and, you know, they're gigging all the time and they do, you're right, they do burn out and they don't possibly get to enjoy the journey because it's all, it's good to have a goal, but you've got to enjoy the journey and how you get there as well. Yeah, that's part of the fun of it. But yeah, exactly. It's because it takes a, it does take away from, so what you said there is quite interesting, and mm. this is a bit that I'm going to get more into in my life and a lot of things, because mm. I, there's a channel called Valuetainment by mm. Patrick Bet David, and okay. I watched a video on him and he said when he's made big mistakes and like, or he's not got what he wanted, he said, I blame this person or blame that, but, yeah. and you get quite bitter, but yeah. it's more that he now, he's, he's sort of understood it and it's more a bitterness in the decision he made rather yeah. than anything like that you know if you get done over or if something bad happens to you a lot it's not always the case because you can't control yeah. it but in a lot of cases you've played some part in the bad thing happening yeah and of course. you've got to be yeah you've got to be bitterness at the decision you made rather than yeah. like the other things and figure out yeah. how you can move on and sort that out and it's also something from I watched a podcast with Joe Rogan and Guy Ritchie, and he says, mm. being a master of your own kingdom. And he read a book called um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko mm. Willink, who's a very yeah. smart, great guy. And it's a book that I'm going to start reading a lot more of and try and apply to mm. myself is that being responsible for, like, whatever, whatever's happened, you've made mistakes, move on yeah. from it, and just look at how you can own that decision yeah. and go forward from it. And it yeah. ties back to what Tyrion Lannister said about own your weaknesses own your weaknesses yes i like that own them they're part of you yeah they're your gifts and your strength they're your strengths really but i'll Sorry, tell that you sounds a bit wanky. <laughs> i'll be honest though if, if i if i bring in a date to one of our gigs in arthur's cafe i may change a bit of my act <laughs> having said that i don't know <laughs> do it oh i would treat her very nicely <laughs> do, do you think i should tow down my no i don't know <laughs> zero bring it take to that would be very exciting. Alfie used to do that. Oh, bless him. Alfie brought dates to Dirty Dicks. And of course, we then would spend the entire, all the comics that all knew him, would spend the entire night roasting him. <laughs> 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 but yeah, <laughs> you could do it all the time. <laughs> Silly sausage. <laughs> I've. I've... Oh. I don't know. I, I feel when you have your family or people you know at a gig, it makes it a lot harder. But 
I can't think of anything else I'd do that's interesting to bring in. To, I know, to, I know. That, that they would, that would, would it be a boring, just straight cinema deck? <laughs> no, Heckle Night certainly would be a, a, a good date. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. Although oh. you don't actually get to speak to the date then, but. <laughs> That's true. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what um what's the things I wanted to say? Now one of the you said that you like people, is that something that's and you love people, you love interacting, you're loving the fun and seeing where things mm. go. But how did that sort of happen? Was that something that happened in an early age that you've always loved? interaction having fun or is that just something you've grown into because i was a weird child i had a neurodiversity that is as yet undiagnosed <laughs> so i had like a ta and stuff and extra time in exams and i was like you know weird kid so as a child i didn't have a lot of friends but then suddenly i did i thought ah oh, i know what it is i discovered drama my mum got me drama age like eight and then ten and I did youth theatre and that gave me loads of confidence then and gave me loads of friends and I think it was from then that I started getting very sociable and loving people so it's sort of grown from then really I would say um and I'm from a big family as well so that that helps and I'm musical me big musical family um so maybe uh, yeah I don't know is it an innate thing because I'm still an oddball but I'm just an extrovert, sociable oddball, <laughs> rather than, you, you know, it. an introvert one. Sorry? You accept it and you, you enjoy yeah, it. I do. I do. So I thought you, um, when you sent me the prep questions, you were asking about whether, like, was it if I was surprised by anything comedy or is there anything that, is there anything I would do differently? That's what you asked me earlier. Sorry, is there anything I'd do differently? And I think no. And I think, like, my personality just generally lends itself to comedy. And I was mental before doing comedy. I would be out all night and chatting to people on the night bus. So actually doing chatting to people in a gig setting is no different. <laughs> it's just, a, yeah, it's a very natural extension for me, I think. Hmm. That, that's, that's something that I've... Maybe I need to go out more, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't go out much now. <laughs> but you... you yeah, that's something that I I don't see as much with. I think one thing I found with doing the comedy gigs and when I'm emceeing, mm. maybe this is being ageist, but you could maybe rip me apart if this is the case. Okay. But I found that people, once they've reached their sort of maybe 30s or a bit older and above, mm. they seem more loose and more carefree and more I mean, able to... I've had two I... kids, so I'm definitely more loose. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but I I feel some with interactions, people are a bit less uptight than perhaps yes. like in your teens and late 20s or early 20s. That people are a lot more... And when I'm, I'm seeing or engaging, like in the last gig in Arthur's Cafe, mm. with the, do you remember Palan? Yes. Well, him and his yes, friend came round. Yeah. They were absolutely hilarious, like to mm. engage with on stage with. Mm. And I think part of that comes in, like you, you become more at home with yourself. That's more... perfect. That's and it. They were hilarious. Like throughout the yeah. gig was a bit of a difficult one, but in terms of 
who to interact with and get the funny bits out of. I spent a lot of times talking to them because I knew yeah. that they would say something funny and wild and it'd be, yeah. be more relaxed to just take the piss and not care about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think there's definitely some truth in that. I think as you get older, you are more comfortable in your own skin and you've got more world experience and you've got more you've got more tools in your toolkit because you've got more, well, you've, you've had more interactions. So when it comes to a situation like you're an MC interacting with an audience, you're probably going to be better at it because you've just got more more tools in your kit more kind of you can remember a time where someone might have said this to you and you came back with the with this quip like you've got that there you just you've got i think it's yeah i do think that's that's probably a fair assessment and also you possibly give less fucks <laughs> I, I do give quite a lot of fucks i'm a people pleaser but i don't know i do, i also am a little bit like okay well this is me no sorry <laughs> That ain't changing, um, and that's possibly quite an important thing. You because if you give us, you know, if you give loads of fucks every time anyone says anything to you, then that's going to hold you back a little bit. I think hmm. I'm probably being quite contradictory because on one hand I'm a people pleaser, on the other hand I'm saying don't give any fucks. But yeah, I think what it is with you, you like to have a laugh and entertain people, but you're not bothered yes. if they think you're a bit wacky. What you no, are yeah, bothered about is if people dislike you or they start trying to be nasty or, or being yes. against you that's what you're but you're not bothered yes. if people think you're a bit odd you just want to have oh, god no it's a fair assessment <laughs> i mean my first gig i was just as a bear i've done gigs dressed as a giant penis like this <laughs> i'm really? definitely a bit odd that's and then that's something i want you know i like to own and actually it's, yeah i need to get odder again i've gone a bit i've gone a bit too tame in my motherhood years oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, oh, I was going to say something, though. I think I've forgotten it. Um, yeah, a fair assessment. <laughs> what's the most, before we go, I'm going to ask you, like, what, what, what's the biggest thing you've learned in life that you'd like to pass on to whoever's listening to the podcast? Oh. And number two, what is it about, what do you love about your kids, like, in terms of, like, their different personalities and handling them and learning about them? Because oh one thing goodness. I found interesting at my other job is that yeah. each person I interact with is a different person. So exactly. if I'm trying to interact with them, engage them one way, not all of them like it. So you've got to yes. do what they like rather than what's... Yes, which is why I think that that is very relevant for comedy. Because I think if you just have one style, like I've seen acts with just like one style and they come into a gig with that, that's their jokes. And, and those jokes can really kill in one setting but in another setting totally can't. But the problem is they can't adapt. There's a brilliant sign for that, actually. Which, sorry, you won't be able to see it. <laughs> it's one of these concepts that comes across really well in DSL, but not in English. Um, you, need to be able to, you need to be able to adapt to the person you're speaking to and the room you're playing and the audience you're with. Um, yeah, and actually some are just one way and that doesn't necessarily isn't going to work with everybody. Um, so I think that's important. Oh, this question, there's so much to the question. I can't process. Um, I mean, what about imposter syndrome? Um, that's an important thing. That's something I suffer from. But you might not realise because you're always booking me, which is great. Um, and you, actually, Marvin, have kept me doing comedy. People like you, Kyle Wallace and GMB, like lovely promoters who, you know, I would be fallen off the wagon and just properly in mum mode on maternity leave and get a message being like, can you come and then see this gig in a couple of months? And I'm like... 
shit, no, I can't. I've forgotten how to do it. But I, but I don't say that to you. I say, yes, Marvin, I can. And then I turn up. And I'm as surprised as you are when I'm funny. Because <laughs> this, oh, it leads to what you're saying about one way. As an MC, I've learned not to do material. So I don't do material at your gigs anymore because I, it's got to be all about the crowd and all about working with them and letting them come out of the show and making the room work rather than like, these are my jokes, I'm funny. For a set, that's great. But for MC, I don't do that anymore. Um, yeah, and it's all kind of ad libby. And I'm honestly as surprised as you are when it works because <laughs> it's the problem is it's a gamble because it's not like material that you know is tried and tested. It's an interaction that is happening live and you've got to just respond to stuff that's happening. And if they're not giving you anything, you can't respond to it. So it's all it's all a bit more it's all a bit more risky. Um, but sorry, the question I've gone off on one. The question is, you want to know about my kids? Okay, so we'll come back to that. And my the biggest life lesson I've learned in life, in life ever. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I used to quote uh, I used to quote Richard Herring as my as my mantra: If you throw enough shit at a wall, some of it's bound to stick. Um, which he talked about in terms of like finding a partner and saying that his wife was the shit that stuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's true for that. That was my mantra for a while, and it's true for a lot of things. You think you've got to try things, and you've got to you've got to push yourself, um, and you do have to try and achieve your goals. But at the same time, be kind to yourself and try. You've got to enjoy the long term. Have a long term goal by all means, but enjoy the as well and I mean this could be why I'm less successful than a lot of people I started out with but actually yeah you've got to there's no point just working yourself to the bone you've got to enjoy life enjoy the moment does that sound like a life lesson or does it sound like me talking shit both no it, it, both. It, it's good it's good no, it's good. shit against the wall yeah just try things and and actually you know when you get all insecure and in your own head it's very easy to do that it's very very human but more often than not, other people don't really give a shit. Like this thing that you said that you think is going to massively cause a big problem, they have, they've thought about it already and they don't care. And actually comedy, I think being an interpreter and a comedian helps because really the comedy, like if I make a mistake in interpreting, like in someone's hospital appointment, that's going to have a big impact. So I've kind of got to be sharp with that and, that and make sure that doesn't happen. If I make a mistake in comedy, whatever it only reflects badly on me it, that that's all and yes that hurts and it's not nice and it feels horrible but no one's gonna die so i say be brave allow yourself to fail and throw that shit at a wall basically <laughs> mm. and my kids do you want to know about my kids do you want to meet them before we go it it, it, it i don't mind yeah maybe really could say hello it's up to you yeah okay oh 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 let me see um I'll just uh, I'll just text Dave and ask him to bring them up um so, so they can have a little guest spot. Um oh. oh he wants to bring the kids up to say hello. Sorry, that's dictation. Ah um this is no no fun uh, for the viewers at home. Um <laughs> to hear me doing some parental in there who else was to text my husband that I used dictation for because my hands hurt so I can't type because of the sign. <laughs> um yes the question was about about my kids uh, about them what their characters what, what what's what's so what have you learned in terms of people through kids 
Ah, good for question. Having kids. Okay. I think what's good about having kids, it's actually similar to what's good about what was good about the pandemic. And, you know, everyone was forced to press the reset button. So with Kian, I was I was still giving loads up until the about eight weeks before I went on maternity leave. And I was still out all the time and I was very much a person who hadn't had kids yet, <laughs> a pre-pandemic person who hadn't had kids. Um, and then when I had Kian, my elder boy, it was like pressing the reset button, like suddenly everything was stripped back to basics. You're no longer going out to the pub all the time and you enjoy really simple things like having a an apple crumble with custard in front of a telly. Like that became the new kind of, wow, this is amazing. Um, but that that's a good thing. It suddenly makes you appreciate everything a lot more. It's a bit like going camping where you're struck down, you, you sit down to basics and uh, and you enjoy it. You find that sort of liberating and fun for some reason. And the pandemic was the same. The pandemic, we had all our freedom stripped away. And actually, lots of people were quite liberated by that, I think. And they actually were like, oh, this is quite nice. I don't have to go here. I don't have to go there. Quite nice to be forced to just stop. And I think kids make you do that. So that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's been Siobhan, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if, if, if they want to find out about you, Siobhan, how do they find out about you and how do they get in contact? Oh, goodness me. Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm a bit shit at the old social media. I'm on Facebook and I will be um, publicising my gigs there. I am a regular, I'm fortunate enough to be a regular MC at um, Marvin's wonderful night at Arthur's Cafe. So please come on down, check out Instant Laughs and come on down to, it's mostly Heckler's Night. Um, heckler's night and the improv night that I love. I, in fact, I probably get very jealous if any other MCs do your heckle night. I'll be like, who's that? Who's that MC? <laughs> so you can find me there. Um, oh, I think, I think my, um, son might be coming up, uh, to say hello, but it's all, that's all going very slowly. Um, yeah, you can find me there or in Morden. I'm generally in Morden. So you can actually find me in person, normally hanging around Morden chasing after children oh okay that's where you go guys uh okay. if, if 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 the kid comes in before I'm, i'll add it in later oh. on where they, they say hello to you guys okay <laughs> yeah i don't know where he is my, my husband i text to say he said he could send him up um i'll see if i can hear some footsteps oh. <laughs> i think he's coming i think he's coming Kian, that's my oldest son, who I you've met before, Marvin, when he was eight weeks old, and I stupidly thought I could do a gig. <laughs> and I emceed your dating show with the baby. Um, yeah, that was a, a silly thing to do. Oh, he's taking he's taking too long. I think he's, um, it takes a very long time to get my kids to do anything. <laughs> oh, okay, no worries. I, well, oh, make, you'll miss make, the opportunity. Never mind. Make in sure a way, we should be grateful they haven't interrupted us halfway through. Not yet. It'll be funny if did now. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait, we've given him enough time there to... Oh, hang on. No. no. Let me just check the door. <laughs> oh, he's hurting. 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 He's hur
Ian. What's in the sky? It's it's a logo. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, that's the... his joke. What wobbles in the sky? Oh, a helicopter. Oh, okay. Favorite <laughs> joke, isn't it, darling? Brilliant. <laughs> ran up here to say that joke, didn't you, darling? Uh, yeah, there we go. He literally ran through the door and said, "What wobbles in the sky?" No, no. Let's. let's there we go. Let's, no, no, no. We want you to do it in the right way. So let's start it again. You start it off again. Let's do it again. Okay. Say the joke again, Kim. What's your favourite joke? What wobbles joke? in the sky? What wobbles in the sky? Yeah. What what wobbles in the sky? Tell me. Helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Right, isn't he? That's brilliant. Get we the spot. To, we're going to put you in for a comedy show. How does that yeah. sound? Would you like that? Yeah, he's nodding. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, you know where to go to find out about me and the podcast, and you know where about Siobhan. Make sure you give the view the podcast a five star view on Amazon or iTunes. And do you have any what last words? <laughs> do, do you have any last words to say before the podcast finishes? What the podcast? This is the <laughs> So is there anything, if people are listening to this at home, listening to the radio, what would you like to tell them about life? Going out when pigs go in water, it's their sun cream. When pigs go in water, it's their sun cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a good fact. There we go. Oh. There we go. We learned oh. something about pigs. All right. Um, okay. We have a... Do you know why the duck crossed the road? Why did the duck cross the road? Poop in its farts. To poop in its farts. Okay, I think that's probably... Uh, <laughs> okay. That's well, it. Guys... Things are getting a bit X-rated here, so we okay. probably better call it away. You've enjoyed it, and I'll see you in the next episode, guys. Okay. Thanks so much, Marvin. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.